Well, good morning, church. Glad to join you today. Again, if you're uh, looking forward to that Mental Health Awareness Day, if you're looking again to sign up, it's on our uh, link tree on our social media page. And so you could sign up there. And if there's more information you have, again, we have a welcoming table after service that you could go and ask questions. Um, if you've been with us for the past uh, few Sundays, you'll know that we had a couple of guest speakers. Um, that was not planned. Uh, we uh, got hit a little bit with a, a little bit of a, of a COVID wave and, and it just hit me and the other pastors. And so that was something that uh, was unexpected. But one thing that was encouraging is even though um, that was not planned, uh, we are so thankful that our church, we're not a church that's just insular and isolated, but we have other churches that are willing to come in and pastors who are willing to guest speak and to encourage us. And I just hope you guys know that there's a lot of people in different churches that are uh, aware of our church, they're praying for our church, and they support and root for us. So very, very grateful. And at the very least, you know that myself and Pastor Sam, we have friends outside of this context. So that's another bonus that's there. Uh, well, in light of that, though, we were actually, before that brief interruption from the past two weeks, we, um, we, had a, we were going through a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's a collection of Jesus' most famous teachings. And if you guys have your programs or your Bibles, we could turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll continue on in the series. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to look in starting in verse 20, which we actually uh, touched upon a few weeks ago. And we're going to go all the way to verse 26. So starting in verse 20, Jesus, he's still near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a, a message he's giving to all of those who are surrounding him on this mountain. And starting in verse 20, this is what Jesus says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is a reading of God's word. So back when I was in junior high, the first novel that I read, actual novel without pictures or anything, but like a real book, I still remember it was uh, Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you guys have read that, remember reading that book before. And the reason why I had to read it back in junior high was we had to do something that was called book reports. I don't know if you guys remember book reports, uh, where pretty much you read a book and you summarize what happened. And in my school, when we did book reports, we had to read it and go up in front of the whole class and explain what the story was about. And if you ever read uh, Lord of Flies by William Golding, you'll know that it's a story about a bunch of young teenage boys. They were in a plane, but then the plane crashed onto an island, and these boys are learning to survive on the island, and they've created factions all of a sudden, and the two factions started fighting with one another, and that was pretty much what the story was. When, and I remember telling that story to the, to the class, and that was my book report. Now, fast forward to college. I, was a, I got my BA in English, and I remember I took a literary criticism class, 
which is pretty much uh, a very nerdy class for people who are into stories and into novels. And one of our, when we have like that in the beginning, the syllabus and assigned reading on that list was uh, William Golding's The Lord of the Flies. And I remember thinking, oh, I've read this book before, and I, I know the story, and so that should be fun. Um, but when we read it together uh, in our literary criticism class, it was, a, it was a different experience this time around going through it than back in junior high. Uh, because the story that I read in junior high, it, it was more than just these boys surviving on an island and fighting against each other. Uh, it was actually a really a story about what human nature is. Uh, we discussed it together, how this is actually at a philosophical level, uh, battle of, of nature versus nurture, of Locke's philosophy of humanity versus Descartes. And it's the idea that are human beings civilized? Are we forced to make moral choices because of civilization? If you remove that, will there be savagery and impulses that just kind of come out? And obviously in Lord of Flies, William Golding, he's trying to show that these boys, even though they were not fully immersed in civilization, they're on an island and they're just acting evil, so he's taking a strong stance. And I remember thinking like, whoa, this is a totally different book than what I felt like I read back in junior high. Now, it's not like what I was reading in junior high was wrong. It wasn't like I was reading a different novel or anything, but in our, my literary criticism class, we just went a lot deeper, far deeper than we did in junior high. Because back in junior high, I only focused on what the author was saying versus in my literary criticism class, we were focusing on what the author was meaning. What was, he, what was he really trying to say through the story? In a similar way, this is what we see, I think, Jesus is trying to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is doing something similar. We mentioned when we started a series that the Sermon on the Mount is an explanation of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not how to be good or how to be moral. It's how can you be truly human? How's the way the world's supposed to look? And last time we looked at, this, at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he, uh, he did a deep dive explaining about the Old Testament. And he's going to continue to do a deep dive for the rest of chapter 5, where he talks about the Old Testament law. And he repeats this phrase over and over again. Six times you're going to see Jesus say in these next few weeks, you have heard it was said, but I say to you. And when you read that, you're going to initially think that, and a lot of Christians think, oh, Jesus is saying that was the Old Testament, but now that I'm here... This is what you should pay attention to. And that's not exactly what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing something a little bit different. He's actually saying that, hey, the Pharisees and religious leaders, you're reading the Old Testament this way, and it's true. This is what the Old Testament says, but let's go deeper. What does God actually mean when he talks about what he talks about in the Old Testament? Now, why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus taking time to do a deep dive in the Old Testament and talking about what God really meant? And the reason why is because of verse 20, the verse that we just read. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, meaning the religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is, you know, religious people, what they do is they only focus on what you're supposed to do. Tell me what to do. And it's all just surface behavior. And so long as I do that, that's okay. But Jesus says in the kingdom of heaven, it's supposed to be different. True life, true humanity, the way you're supposed to live, it goes deeper than that, where it's not just about your behavior, but what's going on in your heart. What's happening in the heart. And so these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different Old Testament laws, and we're going to be looking at different topics that tackle the deeper meaning of what God's trying to say. And a couple of topics are up here on the screen that we're going to be hitting upon just to anticipate. Uh, there's anger, there's lust. There's divorce, there are oaths, there is revenge, and there's hatred. 
Now, when you look at this list that's up here and these topics that we'll be hitting upon, uh, notice that they all have something in common. Not only do they all come from the Old Testament law, these aren't just topics that come from the Old Testament, but every single one of these things that Jesus tackles, it involves how we treat human beings. It involves how we're supposed to relate to one another. Because true humanity, to be truly human, means that we are actually meant to live in harmony with each other. We're to treat each other with dignity and respect. We're supposed to have healthy relationships with one another. And we don't see this often in the world. The world, we, uh, the Christian argument that the world is broken by sin. But in this new community that Jesus wants to create, this new community that reflects the values of God and the kingdom, Jesus is saying that this is something that we are striving after, where we have healthy relationships with one another. And I guess the question before we get into the message is, do you see this in your life? Do you see this in your life? Do you live in harmony with people? Would you say right now that you have healthy relationships with those around you? See, the problem for us is this is actually a sensitive subject, I think, for a lot of us. Where when we think about it, it's not, uh, our relationships aren't mainly just a sort of blessings, but they could actually be really a pain point for a lot of us. Our friendships, our marriages, our parents, even the church. It often could feel like a sore spot where it doesn't feel thriving, doesn't feel healthy, but it feels a little bit broken. And so today what we're going to actually talk about is why this happens. Why does this take place? And today what we're going to see is that oftentimes this is because, not because of what's happening with them, but something with us. It's our anger. We are angry people. There's a lot of anger, more than we're willing to admit. And it's a bigger problem than we ever perhaps have recognized. And so what Jesus wants to do is he wants to examine what is going on in our hearts. We recognize what anger is. Do we recognize how bad it is? We know what to do with our anger. And so we're going to look at this in three ways. Number one is we're going to talk about the problem of anger. The problem of anger. Why is anger so problematic? Secondly, we're going to talk about the presence of anger. Are you angry? Do you know if you're an angry person? And then lastly, we're going to talk about the practice against anger. How do we fight against the anger of our hearts? So the problem of anger, the presence of anger, the practice against anger. First, the problem of anger. So Jesus, he just mentioned, you must be more righteous than the religious leaders. And he does a deep dive in the Old Testament. And he starts, look what he says in verse 21. Jesus says, you have heard, religious people, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. What Jesus is doing here is he's quoting from the Old Testament, specifically the Ten Commandments. And he highlights the Sixth Commandment. And he tells everybody, you guys heard God saying, right, that, hey, you should not murder. And murderers, they should be, they're going to be judged. And in the first century, all Jesus' crowds, if they heard this, they would be like, yeah, we've heard that command. It's part of the Ten Commandments. And in fact, we agree. People who are murderers, they should be judged. And probably deep down inside, they're thinking, and thank God I'm not a murderer. That's something that I'm good with. And today, I think we're kind of thinking similar stuff. When you see this, a sixth command where God says, do not murder, I think most people in this room, we're all Western, modern people, we go, yeah, that's right. That brings civility and that brings order. And anyone who does murder, they should be judged. And we're like, yep, that's right. We have the court system and not only the court system, but even in hell, we should, they should be judged. And that's kind of our stance. And thank God I'm not a murderer. I'm good. I'm okay. But then, then all of a sudden, Jesus, he kind of drops a bomb. Where Jesus, he goes, I want to do a deep dive into the sixth command. And he expands what murder is like. 
He expands what he means by murder, or at least what God means by murder. And look what it says in verse 22. Jesus says in the next verse, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brothers will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, let's break down what Jesus is saying here. Whoever is angry, uh, by this word anger, there's different Greek words you could use for anger. And one word is this Greek word called thumos, which is like this flare-up. So if someone cuts you off, you go, ah, and you get really angry. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. There's another Greek word he's using. It's called origaizo, and that's actually a deep brewing anger. It's like someone cutting you off. You go, oh, and you're still driving going, I hate him. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's the word he's using. And Jesus also talks, so another way of Jesus almost, you can almost paraphrase is whoever's holding a grudge. Whoever's holding a grudge, that's who Jesus is mentioning. The word insults here, whoever insults, the literal uh, word is raka, that R sound, the ra sound. It's pretty much what it means. It's like when you almost like sneer at somebody, you go, oh, that guy. That, and that's kind of, it conveys an attitude, right? Uh, an attitude of contempt or indifference towards them. And then the last phrase, uh, anyone who calls someone a fool, the word fool, it's literally mora, the Greek word mora, where we get moron. And an honor, shame culture to be like, you're a moron. Like, that's very insulting. And Jesus says, um, this is where the bombshell comes. So whoever kills somebody, you will face judgment. And everyone agrees. But if you are ever angry at someone too, and you call them a moron, and you sneer at them, you face the same judgment as the murderer. Now, that's pretty crazy. That's a, like a really intense standard, it seems like Jesus is saying. Why is Jesus saying this? Why does Jesus say that people who are angry, they're like those who murder? I think one example might be helpful to understand where Jesus is going. Uh, most of you all know that uh, Pastor Sam, uh, who spoke, uh, who a few weeks ago, he tested positive for COVID. Uh, our wives also tested positive for COVID. And I also tested positive for COVID. I'm good now, so don't worry. You're all good with me right now. Um, but we all three of us tested positive for COVID. And yet, as you guys know, uh, how COVID works, even though we all tested positive for COVID for the past month or so, all of our symptoms look very different. It was all very different. If you saw Sam when he had COVID, he looked fine. He's what we know as asymptomatic. He was walking around. He's just not, not outside, but he was at home just walking around. He's, I'm good. And you can't really tell that he had COVID. He had no symptoms. Our wives, a little bit of symptoms. They have aches and sores and they're tired and a little bit painful. They're still functional, but mild symptoms. Me, I got jacked. Uh, the full-blown power of COVID just like rocked me where I was bedridden, I was messed up. I tell people I never experienced anything like that. It was crazy. If you want to know more about it, we could talk after the message, after the service, because I just felt the full wave of it. Now, here's the thing. Even though all three of all four of us, myself, Sam, and our, our wives, we all had very different symptoms, and yet we still had the, fa the same problem. We all had COVID. And so because of that, we still had to watch out. We had to be careful because of the fact that we had COVID. We still, all three of us need to quarantine. We need to wear masks. We need to constantly test ourselves with COVID tests. And I think that's kind of something similar to what Jesus is saying. People who are angry, you share the same viral strand as those who murder. It looks different. The symptoms are different. But it's still the same viral strand. I, I like the way um, I heard, I saw one way it's broken down is when you are when you murder somebody, it doesn't come out of nowhere. 
Murder tends, it's actually something that happens in a sequence of events. And here's always the first sequence of what happens that leads to murder. Here's stage one. We're angry. Someone does something to you, and what happens? Deep down inside of you, you feel this rage, you feel this anger. Uh, it's asymptomatic still. You don't really sense it yet, but you just kind of feel down, deep down there's anger. And that leads to stage two, which is our ego gets, it feels wounded. We feel wounded. We go, how dare he or she does that to me? And once you start feeling your ego being wounded, it goes to stage three, which is your heart is now feeling contempt towards a person. You feel not happy with an individual. Now, all this is down, internal, just brewing. And there's a good amount of us, we, we stop there. We just stop. And we're just like angry at somebody. But keep letting it go, it's natural course. Keep letting the cycle take place, and that's when you get to stage four, which actually a lot of us will get there. We separate. We distance ourselves from that person. We stop inviting them to certain events, or we stop going to their events. And then that leads to stage five, which is when people start talking about them, we start to slander. We start to say, that guy, that girl. We start to say things. And then if we don't keep it in check, it could lead to stage six, which is all different types of things, revenge, violence, murder. That's obviously maybe to extreme, but it's all kind of connected that's there. And what Jesus is trying to say is that if you only pay attention to stage six, you're missing the point. They're all connected. It's all the same viral strand. It's like only pay attention to when you're asymptomatic if you have COVID. If you only pay, I'm mean, sorry, if you have symptoms when you have COVID, you got to pay attention to the asymptomatic stage. Because if you don't, it leads to things that's going to be destructive. It leads to hurt relationships. There's a cycle that anger naturally leads to. And if you don't catch it in the very beginning, there's going to be consequences that take place. Now, just to note, Jesus is not saying we should never get angry. That's not what Jesus is saying. If you read the Old Testament and you were to highlight when God gets angry, you have a lot of highlights. In the Old Testament, God gets angry a lot. In the New Testament, Jesus himself he gets angry when he's in the temple and he flips over the tables. Anger is a natural emotion that we feel. And sometimes it's an appropriate response to things that we see, like racial injustice, or if you see somebody get harmed who you love, anger is an appropriate emotion. But here's the problem. We often get angry not for appropriate reasons like God does, but we get angry because of what? Our desires. For selfish reasons. In fact, the New Testament talks about this is why you get angry. In James chapter 4, this is what uh, James writes. He says, what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. Do you see what's driving murder and fighting? It's the same thing, your desires. Your desires for things, your, your sense of wanting control. And wanting things to be the way that you want it to be. In fact, one way you can look at anger is if you ever wonder, why, do you, why are people so angry sometimes? Why, are you, why is your spouse so angry? Why are your friends angry? Why are you so angry? It's usually because you want control. You want something. To the extent of how controlling you are is often to the extent of how angry sometimes you are. There's a connection that's there. Just like that's why, that's, and that's what drives people to eventually, at worst, violence and murder. Now, why does this all matter? Why does Jesus bring this up? I think Jesus, he wants us to really pay attention to this thing called anger that all of us feel. Because there's, again, there's a parallel between murder and anger. The reasons why we are angry, the same kind of driven motivation 
it drives people to murder. And it's not because of circumstances out there. It's what's happening here in our hearts. You guys ever watch Dateline? Uh, you know, where it's like on a, it's not sure if ABC, NBC, whatever. Like one of those channels, right? Like my wife and I, we went through a stage where we watched Dateline every Friday. Like we'd sit down and it's always about murder. And it's always between like this married couple and it's always the husband who murdered. Like it's, they always go, who's the murderer? And we're like, it's the husband. And it's always the husband. It's always the person who murders. And what's interesting is when they actually, you know, have it where they interview the husband or the detectives interview them, they'll go, why did you do it? They'll never, they'll always say, because my wife's crazy. Or to say, because you know why? Because our life was just really hard. We were going through financial struggles. Or there was somebody who just I was attracted to and I wanted them. They'll explain away their, their murderous reasons that way. And of course, when we look at that, we go, that's ridiculous. Because a lot of us have tough marriages. A lot of us have financial problems. We don't murder people. So it's not the circumstances. It's you, bro. You're the one who's, who's there's something inside of you that's causing that. And yet, don't we do that all the time with anger? Why are you so angry? Why did you get angry? Have you, it's because my wife, because my kids, because of traffic. Have you met my boss? Have you met this person before? We, we point the finger at them all the time. And yet, that's not how anger works. Like murder, it's not what's happening out there, it's happening in here. Counselor Paul Tripp, he says it like this, quote, anger is not just about what's going on outside of you, the color, the nature, the character, the expression of your anger, it's always controlled by something going in, inside of you. Let me say it this way. It may be initiated by what's outside of you, but it's colored and controlled and shaped by what's inside of you, and that's a very significant distinction. Despite being a pastor, despite being a Christian for many years, when I drive in the California roads, I still get angry. Like when someone cuts me off, I, I just have to honk. I have to honk to let them know what they did was wrong. Like, that was wrong what you just did. And, you know, I, I have to, like, sometimes, like, shake my fists because, you know, just get angry. I have kids in the back, and you could have, like, hurt my kids. And so I'll get angry when someone cuts me off. And if you ask me, why are you angry? Because they cut me off. But when I'm driving with my wife and I'm the passenger and my wife is driving and someone cuts her off, she's cool. She just, like, just shrugs. And I remember we had a conversation talking about this, like, how come you don't get mad? And in her mindset, she's like, who knows what they're going through? That person might be speeding because they have a bad day or so forth. And in other words, it's like, wow, it's not what's happening to us because it's the same thing. But there's something inside of us that gets evoked. There's something inside of us that gets angry. And that's why we all react differently to the different situations that we go through. It's not the situation we're in, but it's the situation in your heart. There's something going on inside of you. Anger and murder are driven by the same thing. But here's also the second thing about anger. It does something very similar to murder. Anger does something very similar to murder. Because if you take a step back, why is murder so wrong? What makes murder a bad thing? It causes chaos in society. It's, it's hurtful to loved ones. All true. But at its fundamental principle of what makes murder wrong, according to especially with the Judeo-Christian values, it's you are taking the life of somebody made in the image of God. You are removing somebody made in the image of God from the earth. And there's something deeply wrong with that. Now, when you are angry and it's directed at a person and you go through that cycle of anger where you withdraw or so forth, you're doing something very similar where you're taking somebody who has the image of God and you're not removing them from earth, you're removing them from your heart. 
You're removing them from your orbit where they are pretty much dead to you. And Jesus is saying that's the same viral strand that's destructive, that causes harm in relationships, that's damaging. It's not them. There's something inside of you, and it's causing something that's spiritually destructive, and that's not the way life is meant to be. So all of us here, we all agree that, you know, murder is wrong. And if our community is filled with murderers, we say that's a problem. We can't allow murder to be here. We've got to call the police. We've got to do something about that. We are a murdering community. But Jesus is saying you've got to pay attention to anger too. There's anger here. The people are angry in a community like this and we don't care. We just move forward. It leads to destructive consequences. While religious communities are cool, just say, let's just not kill each other. Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of heaven, we got to pay attention to more than behavior, what's happening in our hearts. And that leads now to the second point, the presence of anger. And let me put on my pastoring hat, where I put on my pastor hat and my shepherding little, I'm not sure what this is. You know what it is, the stick. Um, quick question for all of us. Are you angry? Would you consider yourself an angry person? Do any of you struggle with anger here? If so, what are you supposed to do about it? You know what the world says, the, the general sentiment? Uh, anger is a natural emotion. And if you feel angry, you just got to release it, express it, let it go. Uh, you ever hear of rage rooms before? You guys know what rage rooms are? Rage rooms are these rooms that they set up. And if you're angry, they say, go. You get a bat, you just smash everything. Like, let out your anger. And the whole thought is you're releasing your anger so that you become less angry. Uh, now, they, there are studies on this, and they go, that is not true. The more you do stuff like that, uh, the more angry you actually get because you reap what you sow. The more you practice anger, the more angry you become. That's, the, that's like kind of the American way. But a lot of us, you know, we're, we're, most of us are Asian here. A lot of you grew up in the church. And so I think a lot of us, we don't have a problem uh, uh, like expressing our anger or being controlled by it. A lot of us, we try to suppress our anger. In our culture, anger... Uh, as an Asian, as a Christian, it is an unacceptable emotion. Don't be, don't, 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 don't act up. That we're kind of told that clam up, and so we learn to control our anger. And here's the problem: for a lot of us, uh, we suppress it for so long that we don't even recognize when we are feeling angry. We don't. Even, we never thought it was appropriate to be angry, and so we leak. We leak in passive-aggressive ways. We don't realize how angry we are. We get explosive with our anger. And it's kind of a confusing thing. Like, it's confusing to know, like, how angry you are. And that's, again, because of our culture and our religion. Uh, but Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, the way it's supposed to work is don't give in to your anger, but don't deny your anger either. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to recognize our anger and deal with it. We got to deal with it. Otherwise, you're going to hurt a lot of people without knowing it. So how do you, how do you know if you're angry and how do we... Deal with it. Let me ask uh, to, I guess, help. Let me ask three diagnostic questions for us to recognize if we're angry or not. Number one is this. The first one is, do you know how you express your anger? How do you express your anger? And I think this question is up there just to emphasize that. How do you express your anger? You know, for me, I used to think for the longest time, uh, when I heard sermons on anger, I used to think, oh, good, something for my mom that I could tell her about, or for my brother. Uh, for pe you know, I thought of angry people in my life. Or when someone shared with me how angry they were, I'm just like, why are you so angry? Like, why, what's your problem? Because I really never struggled with anger. That was just not something I wrestled with. Because if, if, uh, when I thought of angry people, 
I thought people who like, you know, smash things and they yell and they lose their temper and they're aggressive. I'm like, oh, those are just like angry people, right? But if you get to know me, like personally, um, I'm pretty beta in my personality. Like I am not an alpha at all. Like I'm like beta, like 100%. Uh, I do not lose my temper quickly. Uh, I don't yell except for my kids. Like that's it. But besides them, like I just, I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. Uh, I don't like rage and so forth. And so I used to think like, wow, there's a lot of angry people out there. I hope they get help. I hope they, you know, they deal with their anger. Um, but you know what's interesting is, you know, if you look at the way Jesus kind of compares it to murder though, if anger is actually manifested with you removing people from your life, where you distance yourself and you separate them from your heart, then I realize like, wow, I'm probably a lot more angry than I thought. In fact, I do that a lot with people where if they bother me, I won't rage at them, but something will happen where the relationship will get damaged. Let me give you a typical example of what happens in the household that I live in, in my marriage. Oftentimes when my wife and I, when we get into fights, it's very rarely like we'll raise our voices. We're just, we're both not yellers. But typically it happens like this, where we'll be driving the car, we'll joke, we'll make jokes, and one of us will go too far. Like, one of us will make a joke that wasn't funny. It was too personal. Uh, and so if it's my wife, for example, the way it will work is you know, we'll joke, and she'll say something that she thought was funny, but it didn't feel good. And what happens at that moment, I won't be like, hun, that was really hurtful, I'm mad at you. That's not what happens. What happens is she'll say that, and it'll be quiet. Just gets quiet in the car. Like the whole like vibes kind of change. And when the vibes change, there'll be a silence. And my wife, she'll be like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. She's like, okay, are you, are you mad at me? I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not mad. But then we drive home in silence. At night, I'll go into the bedroom, close the door, turn off the lights. I won't say goodnight. Next morning, I'll wake up. I'll brew coffee just for me. <laughs> Take it. Go into the garage, drive out without saying bye, and that's what happens. That's what, that's what transpires. And I realize I don't just do this with my wife. I do this with a lot of people if they really bother me. If you, if you really bother me, like you say something really personal or you do something that really jacks me, I promise you I pr will not yell at you because I'm just, just not, I'm beta. I will not scream. I will not be like, how dare you do this to me? I'll just be really quiet with you. I'll just, you just won't see me often. I'll be there, but I'll like distance, right? And I realized like, wow, that's how most of my relationships tend to end. It's rarely this explosive, dramatic TV moment where we have this fallout and we yell at you. That's not me. Mine, it tends to be this awkward, unspoken, really weird, dysfunctional distancing from a person who I was once close to. And it took me a long time to realize, like, what's going on there? Like, why am I like that? It's because I'm angry. I'm an angry person. See, anger, it's not just this explosive rage stuff. Although that is anger too. But anger, it could also be expressed in this cold detachment where you remove somebody from your heart and your life. I like what counselor Ed Welch says. He's, he describes anger in two ways. He says, quote, if you limit your awareness of anger to overt rage, you will miss it. Violent anger is just one expression of anger. Anger can be either hot or cold. The main difference is that hot anger is brief and explosive, while cold settles in long term. Depressive anger, it's usually cold. 
the cold shoulder, withdrawal, calculated rejection, putting blame on others, feeling sorry for oneself. In some ways, it is the most extreme anger in that it refuses to be affected by the other person. Do you know how you are angry? Some of you, you're hot angry. If you don't know if you are, just ask your spouse. Just ask your friends. You're an angry person. I walk on eggshells around you. You're loud. You're explosive. It's kind of traumatic the way you express your anger. It's really clear you're angry. You're hot angry. But some of you, you are, you're like me. You're cold, cold angry. You're quiet. You're detached. It's confusing. You don't, people don't even know if you're angry, and yet it's weird. And yet both are the exact same type of virus. They're both anger, and they both lead to the same result, which is damaged relationships, separation from people. Do you know if you're angry? Do you know how you express your anger? Here's the second question. Not only how are you angry, but who are you angry with? Do you know who you're angry with? I think that's also what's confusing sometimes is we don't just have different level expressions of anger, but it's complicated to even know who we're directing our anger with. Some of you, whether you're loud or you're quiet, there are just people in your life that tick you off. And it happens every day. Your coworker, your spouse, your kids. And you get angry and that triggers you. And on the one hand, at those moments, uh, it, it's still anger. It's not good. And it damages the relationship. But when you think about it, one conversation will make things right. Oftentimes, one conversation will heal all things. But have you ever gotten to a fight with somebody where, like, you fight and you're like, whoa, this reaction is crazy. Like, this is kind of like a crazy reaction that a person is going through. I have that all the time in my, in my, in my marriage where, like, my wife, she'll say something and it just kind of does something where I'll react really angrily. And she's like, why are you so, I understand you're mad, but why are you so mad? And for a lot of us, it's because... We're not really angry at them. We're angry at who they remind us of. They remind us of somebody. Whether it be a friend that betrayed us, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, a dad or a mom. And so what happens is our anger it is, not, it is being misdirected. We're supposed, we actually are angry at them, but it's being poured upon the person that's triggering us right now. And now it becomes a super complicated thing because you don't even know who you're really angry with because your expression is kind of crazy. And it's complicated because that type of anger... Those deep, complicated relationships, one conversation doesn't do it. It takes a long time. It takes a long time, and it's hard for us to even recognize it. Do you know who you're angry with? And here's the third diagnostic question. What are you doing with your anger? What are you doing with your anger? Most of us, if you really see yourself and see, huh, I have damaged relationships, I'm cold or hot, whatever it might be, I'm angry. I'm an angry person, and I have messed up relationships. And I don't care. I really don't care. And you don't say that explicitly, but it shows in your life. You just move on. You just move on. And the problem with that, though, is you could do that, but people, they're actually way more important than you realize. Just like I mentioned a couple of sermons before, human beings, people, they bring the greatest, they're the greatest source of healing for you oftentimes. They're also the greatest source of pain because relationships really matter especially deep, intimate relationships that are there. And if you have broken relationships and you just kind of, well, that was awkward, I'm just moving on, just know you're probably a lot more messed up than you realize. You're probably a lot more messed up. My son, he's playing basketball these days, 
And, you know, a couple of times he falls and he hurts himself. And I guess that's part of the game. My wife gets concerned. Oh, that's part, let him fall. It's part of the game. Toughens him up. And I just know there's going to be a day where he's going to, like, sprain his finger. All good. There might be a day where he breaks his finger. All good. He might break his ankle. Not as good. His knee or his shoulder and so forth. And what's going to happen is, is if he keeps getting injuries, I know he's not going to be able to play the game well. He got, we have to take care of that. He has to rest up. He's going to have to heal. Because if you keep playing with all these broken bones, you're not going to be able to really thrive well in basketball. And yet relationships, we do this all the time. We experience broken relationships, we're angry, we're not healed, and yet we try to move on with other relationships, and lo and behold, those relationships often get really messed up. People who have bad experiences or friendships, they tend to really struggle with future friends. Why? Because you get triggered. People who have bad experiences with boyfriends or girlfriends, marriage tends to be complicated sometimes, especially if you've never got healing from it. Why? Because it did something to you. It messes you up. You, you close up. You protect yourself. You, you guard yourself. And something about that, it does something to you. Henry Cloud and John, John Townsend, again, last counselors, they said this, quote, the person who experiences a disruption of bonding recoils and they tend to withdraw emotionally. He does not experience his need, the hunger for his love. Instead, he buries his need deep inside so he can no longer be hurt. This withdrawal is called defensive devaluation. Defensive devaluation is a protective device that makes love bad, trust unimportant, and people no darn good anyway. People who have been deeply hurt in their relationships, they will often devalue love so that it doesn't hurt so much. In other words, you just decrease your love capacity, you decrease your love reception, you decrease everything, you become less human. You dehumanize yourself. And we do that because we protect ourselves, because we're not dealing with the anger and the hurt, and we just try to move on. So before we go on to the last point, let me personalize this a little bit for us again. Ask yourself, are you angry? Are you angry? Again, if you're loud and explosive, we all know you're angry. Everyone knows you're angry. But the tricky one is that quiet, subtle anger where you slowly withdraw. Are you a person with a lot of awkward relationships where you avoid certain crowds and you don't know why, but there's something that's there? Probably because you're angry. You're angry. It's just a cold, quiet anger. And that's how it's going to be the rest of your life unless you deal with it. Are you angry? Do you know who you're angry with? Do you know who you're angry with? We need to pay attention to how we react to people and is it really uh, matching the crime that was there. I still remember a, a married couple I did counseling with and uh, she, the wife was so upset with her husband because they, she felt very neglected by him. Like she doesn't talk to me the way I feel like a husband should. And as we journeyed, I'm just like, he seems like, he sounds like me. Like I do it all the time with my wife and other husbands. Like, like it's either something's wrong with me or what, what's going on here. And as we kept exploring, she, uh, it got deep where she's like, her father always neglected her as a child. And I realized, like, wow, you're not just upset your husband's neglect, you're upset your dad's neglected. It's all being poured onto your husband. It's misdirected. Do you know who you're angry with? And that was a new, that was a new door that she had to open. And lastly, what are you doing with your anger? Are you dealing with it? Or are you just trying to move on? It's really easy to tell who's just moving on. It's really easy to tell in this room, if you get to know them enough, if you just moved on without healing. Intimacy is hard for you. Conflict is inevitable for you. You change friends group all the time. You're switching with relationships all the time. It's dysfunctional because there's a lot, there's not because of them, although it might be partially, but there's a lot of anger in you. You just haven't dealt with it and it's being reflected in your relationships. 
So what do we do with our anger? How do we do it where it doesn't fester and doesn't cause damage? That leads to the last point, the practice against anger. Naturally, when we are angry with someone and you let it play out, it's going to play out the stages. It's, you're going to land somewhere here. It's, it's going to manifest itself somewhere at stage two, stage three, hopefully not stage six, but that something like that might happen. And that's how naturally the cycle goes. But what Jesus says is in the community that he is creating, we are to intentionally interrupt the cycle. We are to not let it play out the way that it naturally plays out in life and in the world, and we do it with a sense of priority and urgency, and we start at stage one when we're angry. And that's why in the rest of the passage, Jesus gives two illustrations, emphasizing the priority and the urgency that we must take to battle our anger. Look what it says in verse 23, 24, first illustration. Jesus says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and, and then come and offer your gift. Jesus is giving a crazy scenario. He's saying, imagine that all of us, we drove to San Diego to a church retreat. And at that church retreat, you come and for some reason we said bring an offering. I don't know what that means today, but bring something, some type of sacrifice. And you come and it's a, that's something that's there. And as you come and you're here at the retreat, and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I just, you know, just that my neighbor, we had a beef and I, I, things are still good. What Jesus would say is, you know, just leave your stuff here, leave your luggage here, go back to the OC and go make it right with them. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Go back. And then after you're done with that, then you come here. In other words, Jesus is giving an extreme example saying, you know, uh, a lot of you are here at church to worship and that's really important. It's really important to worship God. But you are better using your time by skipping church and meeting with somebody who you have beef with and talking with them. That is actually more beneficial to your soul than to be here even in worship. And that's not to downgrade worship. He's highlighting just how important it is to deal with that anger in your heart. It's important because it's, you won't be able to really experience God the way you're supposed to when there's so much anger that you have with other people. A few weeks ago, my wife and I, we were planning to go to Disneyland and you know, rare treat going to Disneyland together, my wife and I. Uh, but here was the problem, as we're planning the trip, uh, the, the day, two days before the trip, we got into a fight. And that's the worst. Imagine going to the happiest place on earth fighting. It's like horrible, right? And, but we were fighting and we were like two days away from that day. And so we fought and we were just, you know, and not explosive, we're just quiet normal quietness that's there. We just ignore each other, not make each other coffee, all that passive-aggressive stuff. Next day comes, still quiet each other. And I had a super busy day, so we even had time to talk and I had all these meetings and so forth. And it was like 11 p.m., time to go to bed, but Disneyland's the next day. And then right after my last meeting, I meet super late sometimes, my wife texts me, again, super passive-aggressive from the other room. She texts me going, hey, we should probably talk. I'm just like, this is abnormal. You never... It's 11 p.m. You're sleeping by 10. Like, why are you know we have a like, why are you talk why are you asking to reconcile? And she never usually is the first to talk about it. Like, it's just kind of strange. And we sat down and we talked about it. And I remember I was thinking like, why are you? Why did you want to? And we hashed out. So it was all good. But I was thinking like, why did you reconcile with me? And without saying, we kind of both recognized. Oh, it's because of Disneyland. <laughs> We're going to Disneyland tomorrow. And. Uh, you want to, we want to enjoy Disneyland. And so we made it like a, a point to like, we got to, 
make this right because, you know, again, nothing's worse than going to a theme park with your spouse when you're angry at each other because you just can't experience uh, Disneyland the way you're supposed to. And, and maybe for some of us, this, this is us. Uh, spiritually, something's off with you. And, you know, you, you go to church, you, you try to pray, you try to read your Bible, and yet something's off. And it could be because your, your heart, there's something hardened and it's anger. You're, you're, you're not prioritizing the broken relationships in your lives enough. You're not paying attention to what's going on there. So you're just kind of moving on to worship God. And it doesn't work that way because our relationship with each other, it's complete tied with our relationship with God. Ed Welch, again, counselor, quote him one last time. He says this, quote, and there's a wall that exists between yourself and others. You can assume that exists between God and yourself. There's a wall that's going to be there. And it's hard to penetrate that unless you actually deal with the people there. And that's why the second illustration Jesus gives is a sense of urgency in verse 25 to 26. Jesus says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going to court with him, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you pay the last penny. There's this, he's, it's a courtroom setting where he's saying, before you go to court, just settle. Settle out of court. Because if you go to court, man, you don't know what's going to happen. Let there be an urgency that's there to settle things. And that's the same thing with us. I'll deal with it later. But you don't know what your anger and that bitterness is going to do to your heart as you keep going. You get more bitter. You get more hardened. It leaks everywhere. It's too late. Is there an urgency to settle matters? And again, as we say all this, this is how we battle anger. Go to them. Talk to them. Settle accounts. Sounds hard. Sounds very hard. Because if you think of somebody right now who you have issues with, that's awkward, that's broken, and, you're, and Jesus is saying you're angry, but you got to talk to them to deal with it, how do you have the courage to do that? That's really hard. And that's why the first thing you must do before you ever go to them, you have to come to Jesus first. Come to Jesus first. Because... When you go to him, you will see that as much anger as you have towards other people, Jesus, he had way more rights to be angry with you. You jack Jesus all the time. You sin against him. You neglect him. You take advantage of him. You take him for granted. Jesus had every right to be angry with you. And yet the gospel tells us that he doesn't respond with hot or cold anger against us. But instead, he receives anger on our behalf. He receives it on the cross, the wrath of God. And when we continue to go to Jesus in our anger, and we receive his grace and his mercy, and we're reminded of that, it begins to transform our own personal anger towards other people. Let me give an example of how this works. I, I, if you ever do uh, ministry with me, you know, like, we'll have meetings. And, we'll, and my meetings, like, I have like time stamps where like, we start at 1 and we're going to talk about this till like 120. And then from 120 to like 130, we'll talk. I have like, mm, that's like my thing. Like I'll just organize stuff. And so nothing gets me more annoyed when our meetings would start at 1 and it starts like at 110. I'm just like, dude, like there's a timestamp. In other words, like when people are late, it like, it bothers me. It bothers me when people are late to like this well-crafted meeting that I set up. Now, five, ten minutes is fine. But once you pass ten minutes, it's like, dude, come on, man. Because, like, I'm thinking you're being not respectful of my time, of everyone's time that's here. And so be on time. Like that, and I tell people, hey, let's be on time. Let's respect each other's times. And so one day, 
I remember I was taking a nap midday, and I woke up, and I saw a bunch of text messages on my phone, and the text messages all, where are you? I'm like, what are they talking about? And I realized, oh my gosh, there's a meeting that I called, and I'm not there, and they're all waiting for me. And so I remember I had to get ready, and I drove to the meeting spot, and I was like way beyond 10, 15 minutes late, and I remember getting there, and I felt like such a hypocrite. I felt like, oh my gosh, I tell them all the time, let's, let's be respectful, and here I am, super late. And yet, they did not bash me. They did not go, you hypocrite. They did not all of a sudden after that just not care about meetings anymore. So gracious to me. So gracious going, hey, it's all good. We understand. You must be tired with kids. Like super, super gracious. And I remember thinking, wow, they were so kind when they had every right to be angry with me. And so now these days, do I get upset when people come late to meetings? Yes, I still do. But when I remember how gracious that group was to me when I come late, it eases my anger a bit. I'm like, ah, it's okay. It's not, it's, it's all good. It's all good. Because I remember the grace that I receive for the anger that I deserve to receive, and that somehow melts the anger that I feel like I should unleash upon other people. This is what happens when we come to Christ. Christ is gracious to us even when we didn't deserve it. And when we go to him in our anger and we realize how gracious he is to us, it transforms that anger that you have in your heart a little bit more to other people. And so, to conclude, Christians, do you want to glorify God with your life? Do you want to grow to know him and to live for him? It's not just about praying or worship or serving or missions. If you have broken relationships in your life right now, we're called to make it a priority to take steps to deal with it. This gives glory to God. This is you acknowledging he is your king. This is kingdom living. Doesn't mean that you're going to make it right right away, but taking steps, not ignoring it, but paying attention to the anger that's there. And if you're exploring Christianity, if you're new to the church, you might have come here and you might recognize that you have broken relationships in your life. And you experience anger. How do, what do I do? Be right with God first. Come to God first through Jesus Christ. And Jesus says he'll heal you, he'll forgive you, and he'll begin to transform you and your relationships. And so if I invite the praise team up, can I lead us in a time of prayer? And this might be uncomfortable to pray about, but if I could just challenge us to think of who are you angry with right now? Some of us here, we have... Fights that we just might have come from, whether it be uh, a spouse or a child or kids, a friend. And it's not that complicated. Those fights, it's literally just one conversation, but we're angry. They have this moment we could bring our anger, whatever it is, to God. But this, for some of us, it might be a little more complicated, where it's not, it's not just this person who I got into argument with. It's deep. It's someone who hurt me deeply. It's someone who... Um, raging against, and it's been raging for a long time, just hidden in my heart, and it's making me hard and cold and misdirecting my anger. Maybe for the first time in a long time, we were to pay attention to that and bring it up to the Lord as well. So let's take a moment just to reflect, to pray, to share who, who we're angry with, why we're angry, and even experience a bit of God's grace in the midst of that anger. So let's share and let's pray, and then afterwards I'll close us all together in prayer.